11 Dubcast is back, and we have beaten Penn State, our non-rivals, on blackout night. Yes, our most, I our am, most uh, notorious hated non-rivals. Unrivals, yes. Uh, I'm Michael Citra. I'm Johnny Ginner. And, uh, yeah, it was 38-10. to 10. Ohio State stays unbeaten and stays number one, although the, the lead over Baylor continues to shrink. doesn't matter who Ohio State beats. If they don't put up 90 points, they don't. They don't increase that uh, that margin. So, Johnny, I wanted to ask you what your overall thoughts were of this particular football game in which the Ohio State Buckeyes prevailed over the Penn State Nittany Lions. I thought I thought it was pretty good. I, I think the defense maybe, you know, I think that maybe they took a step back because one of the real bugaboos for them has been run defense, right? Like that's something that yeah. under Urban Meyer they've consistently not been that great at. And really the only thing keeping Penn State in that game at all, by any estimation, was their running game. Uh, you you even, like, remotely scaled back on their yardage, and it's not even a contest at any point in the game. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think I was pretty happy with the way it went. You know, JT Barrett continued to be automatic in the red zone. I think, what, 12 for 12 or something at this point, or 11 for 11, just, just automatic. And... You know, he was rewarded by getting the starting job this Saturday. So, look, I, we can talk about this in more detail. I think that, you know, I think it's fair. I, I think that JT Barrett has earned it. But I also think that people who were kind of like chomping at the bit for Cardale to get tossed or yanked or whatever during the game, especially during the game, because, you know, I attended this game and people were just the, the first overthrow he had of Zeke. People were like, oh, I can't believe this. And granted, he didn't have a good game, but he had two or he had three consecutive games where he had good outings. And I don't think that Cardell has been like this disaster that people want to portray him as being this year. I just think he hasn't lived up to the expectations that, granted, he set, but maybe were a little unrealistic to carry throughout an entire season. So, look, I, I understand Urban going with, JT this weekend, I even agree with it, but I also think that Cardale maybe has been made out to be more of a villain, maybe more of a Bowserman, if you will, than he really deserves to be. All right, we can get a little bit more into the quarterbacking situation in a minute. Yeah. I, I agree with you about the the run defense was pretty porous, and um, you know, first thing I want to say about that is uh, hat tip to Saquon uh, Barkley because he yeah no, was no crap man like a stud that was ridiculous. he was a stud. he was running hard. All night. Yeah. Very hard to tackle. I mean, he he stiff-armed Raekwon McMillan, and Raekwon went down <laughs> like, a, a, like a, just in a pile. And bad. you don't see that. Yeah, you don't you don't see that, no, uh, you don't. people doing that to Raekwon McMillan. Uh, I wonder how much of it had to do with the injury to Josh Perry, because it seemed like they continued to suck the outside players inside and then yeah. have the, the running back bounce it outside. And I wonder how much of that, the experience of, of Josh Perry was missed, because... It didn't seem like the, you know, the Nittany Lions were able to run the ball too well until after that injury. They really, uh, Ohio State had really a lot of trouble setting the edge. They could not contain and make sure that, you know, Barkley couldn't just bounce it outside. That was something that really hurt them, and I, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, you saw oftentimes where it would be this kind of delayed blitz on the edge, and then they would kind of overrun him, and he would just blast by guys because he was running really hard from the word go. And I, I think I agree with that. I think the lack of experience with the guys they had to bring in really kind of hurt the running game. Christian Hackenberg did not have a very good game. <laughs> no, he didn't. 
Sadly, he did not throw a pick six, so we didn't get to continue the pick six university um, meme right. for another year. Um, I, I really liked the the pass rush. The coverage was pretty good, although one of those times was um, it was very good, and, and Eli Apple, even though he had good coverage, didn't really do anything about it when the ball <laughs> came and, right. and turned into a big play right. to start the second half. Uh, the big stat for me... Penn State, 1 of 11 on third down, 0 of 2 on fourth down. And of those 13 third and fourth down money plays, Joey Bosa stopped six of them. Yeah, and you know what? And Hackenberg was sacked four times. So he was under constant pressure. I think one leads into the other. That pressure caused them to be so bad on third down because they were facing a lot of third and longs throughout Mm -hmm. the game. And... Yeah, I mean, defensively, it was kind of a mixed bag. Offensively, I kind of liked what I saw. Ezekiel had a quiet, I think, 157 yards, I want to say, off the top of my head. So he was maybe overshadowed by his opponent, his, his compatriot on the other side of the ball. But mm-hmm. I think for the most part, he had a really, really good game. JT Barrett obviously came in and was automatic in the red zone, did some amazing things with the option. So in, in that case, you know, if you want to look at that, I think there's some solid improvement. Penn State... You know, Penn State was a pretty big underdog, but I don't think they're quite as bad as maybe some people would make them out to be. Granted, their record was built on the backs of some really crappy opponents, but I Mm -hmm. think it's still a a much more competent team than maybe some people were expecting at the beginning of the year. So, well, they have a fantastic defensive line. Really, maybe the best defensive line in in the Big Ten all the way across the board. If you if you look at all four positions, right, it, it might be the top one and. You don't see teams run for 350 yards against them. No. But that's what Ohio State did. Yeah, and and that's the other thing. I mean, this was definitely a test for the offensive line, right? This is an offensive line that had been struggling a lot of areas. Guys like uh, Chase Ferris, for example, who got kind of burnt several times during the game, uh, I think turned it around towards the end. A lot of guys who had had kind of shaky seasons up to that point really – I don't want to say they asserted their dominance, but they played consistently. And when you have – skill players like JT Barrett, like Ezekiel Elliott, like Braxton Miller, that's enough. You don't have to be world beaters on the line. All you need to do is give them at least a sliver of daylight, and they're going to make something of that. So I I think the offensive line played fairly well, all things considered. It it sucks that Cardale Jones didn't really take advantage of that play, you know, for the most part. I mean, there there were definitely times where he had all the time in the world to throw and couldn't really make much of it, but... Again, that's why we're we're shifting to the Barrett time that we're going for, the, the JT Barrett power hour that we're going to have on Saturday. So we'll see how that goes. I, it's another night game. It's on the road in Piscataway, and people have been tapping this as like the, the danger game, I think, for Ohio State for a while now, which doesn't make much sense to me, but Rutgers is playing pretty well recently. Offensively, certainly very good, and um, I believe one of the top teams – in uh, no 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 I'm thinking of Illinois. Illinois surprisingly is like the third best third down defense in the, the league or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's they're crazy. Pretty, they're they're somewhat more competent than expected too. Yeah, I think Rutgers has a good fourth down defense, but hopefully we won't <laughs> be facing a whole lot of fourth downs against right. them. Um, so just ta- just touchdowns. Barrett comes in and he throws two scores, runs for two scores, four for four passing, and I mean. Runs for 100 yards. Yeah, I mean, and, and you get exactly what you expect him to do, which is run the option really, really, really well and hit on the couple of throws he's asked to make, and then he scored points. And that's that's what you, you don't have to be this all-world quarterback necessarily in Urban Meyer offense. You just have to be that good, and JT Barrett is always that good. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, 
I am excited to see how it works out. He did not look good against Hawaii earlier in the year, but this is his opportunity to redeem himself a little bit. And in his own words, you know, settle down, take what the defense gives him, and not press so much for the big play. Yeah, he's going to have to do more through the air. He's going to be asked to do more right. through the air than he was. In, and really a simplified offense uh, this past week. After they put JT Barrett in, I think they ran maybe six different plays. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, it was kind of like going back to the uh, national championship, where it's like, you're, we're just going to keep doing the same thing. Yeah, and you're you just can't not going to be able to stop it. So uh, it's frustrating for the defense. It really wears a team down mentally, and uh, that's good. Uh, I want to give a shout-out because I – I wasn't on board with this, and I thought that I wasn't going to like it. But I actually did like the blackout quite a bit. I thought it looked great on <laughs> television. I'm glad you have turned to the dark side. Yeah. But it, here's the thing: I, I will never not prefer our scarlet uniforms. I never. But <laughs> I was asking I will, you to. I will say it was cool yeah, to do once. It was do really it. cool. And I got to tell you something: I was very, you know what? I was a little skeptical that Ohio State fans would turn out for this. But I got in that stadium, and 9 out of 10 people were wearing black or some form of it. And it was really, really cool. The atmosphere was not as, like, electric as I had hoped. I mean, people were still kind of like, oh, this is a little too cold for mid-October. And people were sitting on their hands a little bit. But the effect, the the, the visual effect was really, really cool to see. And it was, it was a cool environment. I'd love if we did something like this next year. I think just asking people to wear black is maybe the height of organization that you're going to get from Ohio State fans. But, <laughs> like, like I think one time we tried to do, like, a stripe thing. That's yeah, hilarious. Can't, stripe outs don't work. Not it's for just, not for Ohio State fans. Um, no. But I think the blackout was a lot of fun. And, you know, it was, it was a cool change of pace. I did ask my grandma about it, 92 years old, uh, yesterday, and she did not like it. So, okay. not well, me following Ginter's approval. But, uh for the most part, I think people enjoyed it, and it was it was a fun time. I really was glad I was able to get out there. The blimp shots from the, of the oh, stadium man, were yeah. phenomenal. They were really, really beautiful. It was great to see. Uh, so let's turn our attention now, because um, I'm sure with, with Finkus on football, we'll get a little more into the quarterback situation. Uh, why don't we turn our attention to that team up north and <laughs> the hilarious, hilarious way they lost on Saturday. Johnny, you were at the, whatever we were calling, the, the, the Black, Black Saturday, Saturday banger, yeah. right? Uh, the substitute for Dubgate this year, yeah. which, uh, by the way, I, I understand we raised about three thousand yeah, dollars. About Downs three grand. Our, you know what? Our take usually on that is somewhere around ten to twelve thousand yeah. dollars. That's because we have the large tailgate and we can get more yeah. people. Three thousand dollars, though, for the people who showed up. I mean, we had a pretty good. I feel like we had a pretty good attendance for that. Three thousand yeah. dollars is really good, and I I'm really happy with how it turned out. I think that was a lot of fun, and and really thanks to everybody who showed up and everybody who helped out because that was. That was a cool time, and we got to. We were actually on our way. We were preparing to go to the game, and Ramsey had just won the fat tire bike that we were auctioning off. Nice, <laughs> which is kind of infuriating because I really wanted that bike. But I was going to help him load it into his car, and then all mm. of a, all of a sudden, so I'm walking out of the bar right with Ramsey, and then I hear like the bar explode, and I run back inside just in time to see. Michigan State like like rumble into the end zone with the ball and everybody just lost their minds and it was <laughs> it was hilarious. The next half hour was just everybody screaming at each other like I can't believe it happened. Uh, so this is, this is definitely to me in the top five like worst things to ever happen in Michigan football because <laughs> it was it was hilarious. It was phenomenal because it was it was in their home stadium. It was against their their bitter in state rivals, right. little brother, right. and. 
And this round the wouldn't have been as fun. The fact that it I don't know, at the yeah. big house. I don't know how statisticians figure this stuff out, but they said that Michigan at that point had a 99.8% chance of winning the game when the ball was snapped. Right. 99.8. Right. And all the punter had to do really was fall down or something. I mean, yeah, he just sure, had to if, field the punt, like field the snap. That's it. That's literally yeah. all he had to do. His only hope there is that, you know, he falls down. There's there's obviously going to be time for one more play, and Michigan State misses the field goal, which they were afraid to kick field goals the whole game. Yeah. They, they turn, turned down field goal attempts a couple of times. And instead, I don't know what he was trying to do, whether he was trying to throw the ball or, or punt it. <laughs> I but think the he was trying to flies, punt it. I think he thought he it could get it. It flies out of his hand, and it, it sort of flies out of his hand sort of backwards, and there's just happens to be a Michigan State player right. standing there, catches it, runs down the sideline. There's one Michigan guy who's got a chance to get him, and he's right by the sideline, and you see the clock is running out, and you're going, no, no, he's not going to make it. And then all of a sudden, he, he gets by that last guy and gets into the end zone. And uh, and he breaks his hip. He, yeah, under the dog pile, he breaks his hip with everyone. Right, and then in the hospital, he's like, you know what? I'd do it again just to beat Michigan. Like that's And that, to me, is college football. Like I respect that. I do, too. I, I do, too. It's kind of sad that he broke his hip. I mean, that's that's horrible, but... On the other hand, it's probably one of the greatest plays in that rivalry's history, maybe the greatest play in that rivalry's history. So that was pretty amazing, and it could, let's be honest, could not have happened to a better fan base. So, <laughs> and, and look, I feel no, uh, what's the word? I don't, I don't feel sad for Michigan in any way, shape, or form. Like I, I'm generally pretty agnostic when it comes to hating Michigan in general. Like, I, I don't like Michigan. I hate Michigan, you know, as a general thing. And once we play Michigan, especially Michigan week, I start to go insane. But as a general rule, I'm not like, oh, I want everything bad to happen to them. However, <laughs> with that said, if that could happen on a regular basis to Michigan, I would not, certainly not complain because that is unbelievable. That whole thing, that whole sequence was just insane. And I will watch yeah. it many, 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 many more times. That kind of thing you may never ever see again in your lifetime. Probably not. That's how that's how crazy that play was. Yeah. Just insane. And of course, everybody at work where I work down here in Central Florida, they know I'm you know Big Ten guy, Ohio State guy. They're like, "Did you see the end of the Michigan Michigan State?" I'm like, of course I saw it. <laughs> I laughed so hard. I I think I used two whole tweets of just nothing but ha 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 ha. ha. <laughs> Hundred forty <laughs> characters cannot yeah, contain yeah. that mirth. That's right. So I did like 280 characters of, of laughter. So, there you go. Um, yeah. So thank you for that, Michigan. Yes, did, thank you. Let me ask you one last question before we get to ask us anything. Sure. Did you? Which was your favorite Michigan reaction? Was it the? Was it the? <laughs> was it the ginger with his hands on his head? Yeah, it was. was it, the, it was the ginger with the glasses. The crying yeah. guy who was like, "Oh my god!" The crying guy reminded me of that guy uh, who's like saying about wrestling, like it's still real to me. Damn it. Um, but the, the kid, the redhead kid with the glasses in just complete, utter disbelief, everyone should look at that because that is what the face of like utter, uh, you know, disbelief looks like. Like if you, if you want to have a dictionary just filled with pictures of emotions, that's what utter disbelief is. Like that person can't comprehend, cannot physically comprehend what his eyeballs, like the light bouncing off the particles in the air bouncing into his eyeballs, going through electrical impulses into his brain. He can't, there's something in the wiring there that he cannot make sense of because he, he looks like a cow in a spaceship. Like he has no idea what's going on around him. <laughs> it was so good. And it's just, it, I, I can't describe it other than utter disbelief. It was amazing. Like that kid, 
I've been there, kid, and it's bad, but yeah. enjoy, I have, remember that pure emotion that you had. I half expected him to throw to actually vomit, to physically <laughs> manifest to the feeling that he had. Yeah, because it was like... Like, a, like an if, organ that your body rejects. Like, I can't feel this emotion. I'm just going to vomit. Yeah, if, if, if that had happened to Ohio State in a big game like that, I think I would probably throw up. <laughs> I don't know what I'd I, do. I think I would crawl under, like... I would crawl. I would find a crawl space and just live there for a couple months. I'd get under a, a clothes basket and just hide until it all flowed over. Like that's that's kind of how I feel like my reaction to the rapture would be or something. Like you know, God comes down like, all right, I gotta hide in a closet for a second. This is bad. This is I can't handle this right now. Oh jeez. Well, um, so anyway, let's get to our ask us anything, Johnny. Yeah, let's, let's do, do that. And uh, why don't you tell our, our our listeners how they can. Ask us anything. You can do it in a number of ways. You can hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast, or you can send us an email, dubcast at 11warriors.com. Yeah, pretty short and simple. You can also send us an owl if you're at Hogwarts. Yeah. It'll probably probably get to us. Um, so we got two questions on Twitter. The one, I'm just going to just breeze through this because it's like I don't understand it too much, but JW wants to know if anyone caught uh, Gene Smith his quote on seeking solace in Luther Vandross after the Virginia Tech loss in 2014. I did not catch oh, it. Oh, I do know what he's talking about. He, he, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. Uh, Gene Smith was, said that he rode around in his car listening to Luther Vandross uh, because he was so mad about it, and it, like he did it to calm himself down after the game. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I wouldn't use Luther, but I'm, I'm not sure who I would use to, to calm myself down, to soothe the nerves. I'm not really sure. Luther Vandross isn't really a bad choice, frankly. I think it's... Yeah. I have nothing against Luther yeah. Vandross. I just I just don't really own any Luther Vandross. So I don't know where, where I'd go with that. Uh, Jeff Halfley, also on Twitter, wants to know, will JT Barrett win a Heisman before he leaves Ohio State? What do you think, Johnny? No. I mean, it's it, it, if he wins a Heisman, it would have to be next year. And I just think that his skill set doesn't really translate well to what people on the Heisman committee want. I mean, you're talking about Trevon Boykins, right? Who is kind of like this JT Barrett on crack almost, but he also plays in a conference that doesn't play defense for the most part. So Mm -hmm. I just think that what JT Barrett does is great. And I think he's maybe more effective than some other people because he's so good at distributing, but that also means he doesn't get the whole spotlight. I, I just don't see the Heisman in his future just because of the way he plays. Yeah, statistically improbable, and um, he's not going to win it this year, obviously. Next year, I think Ohio State's going to be doing a little bit of rebuilding. Yeah. They're going to lose a lot, a lot of guys. Lot of so, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's going to be tough. He would have to stick around for a senior year, and then, you know, then possibly. But, I mean, I don't know. Statistically improbable. I mean, we all went into this season thinking Zeke would be a front runner. Now everybody's talking about Fournette. And, 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 uh, and rightfully so, frankly. Yeah, and that's kind of yeah. the point, right? Like, guys pop up out of nowhere, and it's hard yeah. to control for that. And uh, and Dalvin Cook from Florida State getting some play as well as as Boykin. So um, yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, let's get uh, get to our email questions, Johnny. Okay, let's do it. You ready, you ready for our email questions? I am. All right. Uh, again, that's uh, Dubcast at elevenwarriors.com. Jason Wyatt wants to wants to say, are you saying, guys, I'm headed to Piscataway for the game this weekend. I'm sorry. Super excited to be able to see the Bucks here in my backyard. The question is whether or not. You think it's worth the attempt to sneak some adult beverage sauce into the stadium? I have a device called Barnoculars created for just such a purpose, but I've never used them in a hostile environment. What do you think? <laughs> so you're telling me that you're going to hollow out binoculars and drink out of them? <laughs> uh, yeah, like they're, they're, they actually sell these. I think at Spencer's and some places <laughs> like that. 
where it, it, it looks like a pair of binoculars, but it's really uh, a you know a way to sneak uh, beverages. I into think, I think you should like find another really goofy appliance or tool and hollow that out instead, and then try to drink out of it. So like a weed whacker or something. It's like oh, it's just my weed whacker ran in the game, or like I don't know. <laughs> A socket wrench and just fill it with whiskey and just drink out of a socket wrench for the entire game. That might be cool. But it, I think you should inquire as to what the policy is if you get caught trying to sneak something in. Because if you're going to risk missing the game, then I think you probably shouldn't do it. An important secondary question is, do the beer binoculars function as well as a beer you know, delivery device as they do binoculars? Because if you can use for both things, then I would definitely do it because I think that's an excellent idea. I mean, if it's chilly, you should be able to hide a boda under your jacket pretty easily. Yeah. That's how I used or to do it. Or just before you go to the game. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then I used to buy Cokes, and I'd have my boda full of rum, and I would make rum and Cokes the whole game. It was awesome. Nice. Uh, Gregory Metz. He wrote us again this week. Yay. He's our, he's a he's a loyal customer. He is, and he's an excellent question asker, so I'm yeah. very... He says, he says, hi, guys. I hope you had a good weekend. So thank you, Greg. I, I had a good weekend. I did, too. Yeah. yeah. So, first question. There was a really strange cloud formation over a city in China last week that looked like a floating city. Was this just an optical illusion, or was it the shadow government operating from underneath Denver's airport testing Project Blue Beam and or opening up interdimensional portals? I feel like they're really bad at being like a clandestine organization if they are that easily spotted. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was like the souls from the Forbidden City in China ascending up into heaven before a calamity that befalls the earth. How about that? It was residual, uh, residual, uh, something from that chemical plant explosion a few weeks ago, maybe. Oh yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. How about that? Uh, makes you think. Makes Makes you think. (laughs) Philosophical question of the week. Yay. Is it possible to have true objective colors since there are so many factors that go into the observation of a color, lighting, background, vision, etc.? Well, no. I mean, let's be honest. No, I mean, you pigments, right? Certain pigments are reacting to light. I, this is really more of a science question than a philosophical question, <laughs> Gregory. But no, I mean, we all perceive colors differently. Like, for instance, my left eye doesn't, you know, it doesn't process color as well as my right eye. So when I close my right eye, you know, the colors seem kind of muted. It's kind of weird. But I got a buddy I work with who's colorblind. And, you know, I know another guy who's red, green color. So it's like, no, I mean, we all have different perceptions of things, but in general, I think the difference is so minute as to be relatively irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, if there was a pure color that was red, then no two people would see it the same anyway. So you could say, well, there is an objective color red, but we don't all see it that I way, feel like so. Gregory just got into a really bad argument with his wife uh, over bathroom colors. And- maybe, it was, maybe it was that, uh, is the dress blue or is the dress gold <laughs> thing? Maybe they argued about that. That hurts my head. I don't really think about that. Uh, okay, sorry, Greg, don't bring your arguments with your wife onto the internet with you. It's just bad form. I mean, we'll be happy to help yeah, you. Yeah, I'll still but, help you out. I got your back. But I'm just saying. Like, you could be I'm just saying your wife might not like it too much. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we've got one more question. Matthew Suber wants to know, which fictional boss would you rather work for, Michael Scott or Ron Swanson? Ron Johnny Swanson, Gensler. are you kidding me? Come on, Michael Scott was a terrible boss. Like, he's an okay yeah. person, but I in no way would want to work for Michael Scott. Yeah, way too unpredictable. Uh, you never know what you're going to get with Ron. At least you know what you're going to get, even if you know you don't necessarily agree with his libertarian views. Well, but not even that. But like, I don't like it when my bosses are breathing down my neck and like trying to get me to do stuff. 
And Ron Swanson doesn't like getting anybody to do anything. So yeah, <laughs> he's the ideal boss. He's the best <laughs> yeah. boss. Yeah, and plus, you know, I figure you could probably bribe him with bacon if if you're like late or something and yeah. he's mad. You know, give him some bacon. Yeah, I know. Ron Swanson, one hundred percent. Give me a break. Absolutely, that's not even a contest. Uh, but we'd like to thank everybody who sent in a question for Ask Us Anything. Once again, dubcast at elevenwarriors dot com is our email, and at eleven dubcast is how you ask us on Twitter. All right, it's time for Finkus on Football. Our good buddy Matt Finkus back with us as he is every week during the football season. Matt, how's it going? It's going great. I got two questions for you guys. A, All right. how was the tailgate <laughs> party on Saturday? Because some of us had to work Saturday. And B, <laughs> is it true that Michigan's punter is also a male model? <laughs> He's about to be. Have you looked at his mentions? Like half of them are people like wanting to kill him. The other, like, 25% are people, like, saying, oh, no, you're fine. And the other 25% are girls asking him out on dates. Like, it's, it's the accent. <laughs> so life could be worse for that guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, know it sucks He's got now, the ladies but... rolling in. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he'd have to go into – I thought he'd have to go into witness relocation or something. You know, I don't think that's going to be that bad. I mean, it's the same thing with the Cardell Jones stuff. It's amazing to me that people will actually tweet at kids. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, just the, the pure stupidity in our culture is unfathomable at times. 100%. Yeah. People, people are terrible. I didn't get to make it up uh, for the tailgate this year, uh, but Johnny says it was a great time. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, Ramsey <laughs> bought like $60 worth of raffle tickets and won both a drum cover and a bike. So... There I'm you go. Super mad. Nice. That's pretty good. He had, a, he had a good haul. I would like that. I'm, I'm actually putting the finishing touches on my man cave. I would love to have that drum head, that yeah, Ohio State drum head. But, uh, so, Matt, uh, big win over Penn State, and um, things, again, were a little weird for Ohio State, a defense that kind of got shredded on the ground by Saquon uh, Barkley, and uh, but yet was dominant on third downs and against the pass for the most part. And then... Uh, J.T. Barrett comes on and absolutely dominates as he did last year. What are your overall thoughts of the game? Well, let's start with the defense. Um, first of all, that kid from Penn State, he's freaking good, man. I'll tell you what, <laughs> that's probably the yeah. best running back we're going to see pretty long. I mean, Jay Richardson and I were watching that game, and I'm mean, the playing out, the moves that he had, the acceleration, the jump cuts. That kid, where did he come from? Because he, I mean, he's a special player. I mean, special to the to the Ezekiel Elliott type of special player. So, yeah, I mean, there were some big runs and some big numbers in there, but that kid is a talented running back that, I mean, should get 100 yards, even with Penn State's beat-up offensive line. That kid should be having 100, 125 yards, and if they can get things solidified, he's going to be an absolute superstar uh, running back. I mean, he's got that level of talent ability. I was shocked when I watched him play. I mean, that kid was just good. Um, a lot of the defensive run struggles, too. I mean, you know, that's a lot of Josh Perry, and, and you hate to put it on one guy, but, but losing him, switching Darren Lee to the other side, bringing in Cam Williams and Cam Williams, you know, th- there's a lot of turmoil on that linebacker position that, that probably caused a little bit of that. And then, I mean, again, we run into the same thing that we've been talking about where Penn State's throwing football team. Yeah, I mean, they, they run the ball. They run some ISOs and stuff like that. They don't run those zone stretch plays that they ran with this guy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a it's – a, you, you want to shut down their best player, which is Christian Hackenberg, which they did. 
very, very well all night long. You wanted to get past rush, get him off the spot, make sure that he's having to move in the pocket and slide his feet because he's not that good when he does those kind of things. And, and they were able to do that. So, again, you're in the position of we're going to take away what the opposing team does best on offense, and they were able to do that, and something else is going to hurt them. Now, eventually, you know, you're going to run into some teams with some real, real talent where you're going to have to be playing a little bit more balanced defense. But um, I'll tell you, I, honestly, in that effort, I give the, the credit to, to, to Barkley because he was just a beast Saturday. On the JT Barrett front, you know, I made this comment, and it all kind of clicked into place for me. Uh, Saturday night after I saw what was going on and it made perfect sense to me and I know last week I told you that I had no idea what they what they were doing with the quarterbacks but I figured it out and here's what was happening if you watched if you watched the offense in camp which I did you had Noah Brown you had Corey Smith you had Michael Thomas Noah Brown was looking like a Devin Smith Jr. big tall could run down the field, great speed, and was making some big deep ball plays on the Ohio State corners and camp and some of those scrimmages. So I can see where that offense that Urban Meyer wanted to have coming out of camp was going to look very, very much like the offense that won those last three games at the end of the season last year. Deep threat down the field, going for big plays over the top, the intermediate passing game isn't as important, and we're going to run the ball with Z. Now, what what has happened since then? Noah Brown has broke his leg. Corey Smith has broke his leg. We really have one wide receiver in our starting rotation, Michael Thomas. The other four guys that we rotate through there are all high school running backs or quarterbacks. That's the situation, and some of them were college quarterbacks. That's the situation that we have right now. We have one viable, I mean, real wide receiver. Now, not to say that those guys aren't running routes and aren't doing good things, but there's a big difference between just being fast and running routes and playing wide receiver and running the wide receiver position effectively, especially on timing routes with the quarterback. Um, right. I think that's what you saw. And the second thing that you saw were teams loading the box, nine, 10 guys in the box because the deep threat wasn't there and forcing the, 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 the front to really have to come out and block and have that extra guy in there. And it was stopping Ezekiel Elliott a lot of times. Now, he was breaking some. He was breaking some big runs as well because when you load the box, if you, if you can make one guy miss, you're going to be off to the race. So what we, what we saw with the offense and with J.T. Barrett coming in was the short to intermediate passing game, which he is very, very good at. What we also saw is quarterback run and the zone read, which that can account for having that extra guy in the box. Now you have an extra blocker in the running back who's not carrying the ball. Cardell Jones, he's not a running quarterback. So what I think that we've seen more than anything, because I, I do believe, Urban, that when he came out of camp, you know, Cardell probably had the job and had the job in an offense that would look similar to what they had last year. JT didn't light anything up and didn't take this job. Let's not forget, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I was a JT fan. I thought he should have been starting, uh, you know, this entire time. But a lot of that had to do with what he did last year and the fact that I didn't see either guy really take the job. Through spring, through camp, I never saw one of them really say, okay, that's my job. I'm taking it. I'm playing it like that. I mean, JT was throwing picks and not looking great uh, up until the red zone stuff last or two weeks ago. Now he's found a groove, and now he's found the rhythm, and now he's looking like the JT Barrett of last year again. So I think that's what happened with the quarterback position. Um, I think it's really important for Cardell Jones to not go in the tank at this point and to not, you know, 
go, woe is me, and I can't believe I lost a starting job, and I should have went to the NFL and everything else. You can't change the past. He's got to stay in the game because we all know this is a violent sport and one injury, and he's back in there, and he's, he's back leading the Buckeyes. Right. Well, and that's kind of, I guess, a good segue into what I wanted to ask you, which was what if, you know, a lot of people wanted JT to be the starter from day one. Now they kind of get what they want. But what happens What happens if he shows up and he doesn't play that well? I mean, and how does how does Urban Meyer handle that? Well, that's going to be the real, the real interesting thing because, you know, we haven't seen Cardell um, provide the spark that JT was able to provide. I mean, you didn't see the team's emotions and dynamic change when right. Cardell was, was the quarterback is when JT came in. So I don't know if – I think – I mean, and again, this is just me trying to get inside Urban Meyer's head, which is a scary place to be sometimes. But <laughs> – yeah. I think that, that JT Barrett is going to have a lot longer leash than what Cardell Jones did. I think that he's going to allow him to be able to, to make, because, you know, simply for, for the fact that the sample size is larger with JT, he played, you know, 11 games last year. You know exactly what you're getting with him pretty much. And you know he's able to rebound from adversity. I mean, you go back to that Penn State game last year where JT Barrett with a sprained MCL won that game. I mean, everyone goes in and throws the, you know, the Bosa walk-off sack. If not for JT Barrett, I mean, then yeah, he threw the bad pick for six, but if not for JT Barrett in overtime, the Buckeyes lose that football game. I mean, right. he, he single-handedly won that football game. So mm. he's able to come. We've seen him come back from adversity and perform really, really well. And I think that, and in, in in just the emotional factor, I think the team, you know, JT was elected captain for a reason. The, the, the way that they react to him is different than the way that they react to Cardell Jones. And, and that's not to say that the team doesn't believe in Cardell Jones. I think the team just believes in JT Barrett more. I think that, you know, I talked to a lot of those guys when JT went down last year and going into the, into the Big Ten championship game, and the team had a ton. I mean, coaching staff, you know, players had a ton of confidence in Cardell Jones that he was going to be able to, to get the job done. Now, would they rather have JT Barrett in there? I think if you ask any single person going into the Wisconsin game, would you rather have JT or would you ever rather have Cardell? I think they would all have rather to have JT Barrett in there. But they had confidence in Cardell to get the job done. This isn't to say that Cardell Jones is a bad player or that the team doesn't like him. I think the team just rallies around JT Barrett more just because of his personality, his leadership, and if you spent any time with the kids, I mean, he is an absolute quality. I mean, it's like talking to a 35-year-old. It really is. I mean, I've talked to JT yeah. in the locker room or just at the Woody Hayes a couple of times. I mean, it, it's literally like I'm talking to someone my age. I mean, he's that mature, he's that polished, and he just has that calming demeanor, and you know that he's just going to go out and do the work and do the job. Matt, I wanted to ask you about uh, one particular player on the defense because I think it was his his best game of the season thus far, and that's – Joey Bosa, of the 13 Penn State third and fourth down situations, they converted only once. And of the 12 they did not convert, Joey Bosa had a hand in stopping six of those. I believe four of those were either sack, tackle for loss, or quarterback hurry. What about the Big Bear? Uh, why, does, why does he uh, feast on Penn State? Why did he, uh, why did he step up this particular well, I mean, game? He's, yeah, I mean, he's an, he's an elite talent, first of all. I mean, obviously, everyone knows that. And um, I think that he's starting to, to really come into his own because of what the other defensive linemen are doing around him. You know, I, I think that Adolphus Washington and Tyquan Lewis, who's had a couple monster games 
leading up to this Penn State game, and they had a great game at Penn State as well. You know, Adolphus Watson had two sacks last week. And you're starting to see those other guys win those one-on-one battles. You're starting to see those other guys take advantage of all the attention that is going towards 97 and saying, okay, if you're going to double-team him, I'm going to beat you. And that has been happening the last couple weeks. And so you're going to see offenses, they're going to have to shift away from giving so much attention. Now, they're still going to double-team, and don't get me wrong, but but they're going to have to not be able to focus solely on Joey Bosa when you've got those other guys who are making plays. And I think that's what you've seen here these last couple of weeks where, where you're starting to see Joey really start to make some big plays again like he did last year. It's because those other guys are stepping up. If, if, if no one else was making any plays, Joey Bosa would be getting triple teamed and double teamed, and they're just going to say, well, you're not going to get us. We're not worried about Tommy Shutt and Adolphus Washington and Sam Hubbard and whoever else you want to rush off the edge. We're not letting 97 beat us because we know he can beat us off the edge. Now, those other guys have stepped up their game, and they're making plays, and that has made this transition to, you know, a little bit more balanced on the offensive side for the opponents where Joey is – I mean, if you give him a one-on-one battle, nine times out of ten, he's going to win the one-on-one battle. He's just that good, and you're starting to see it really shine right now. Do you – I mean – you know, some people are saying that we've got because we've got another night game coming up. We're in Piscataway. Some people are maybe saying that Rutgers being slightly better than people thought. This might be a trap game for Iowa State. How do you think they project going forward in the next couple games here? You know, I mean, I, I think that when you're the number one team in the country, they're all so to speak trap games for you. You know, I mean, right. everyone. I mean, and when you when you're Ohio State and you're a talent, and when you're more talented than everyone else that you play, and you know that. I mean, those kids know that. They know that there, there's no one that, that can match up with Ezekiel Elliott. There's no, they know that there's no, you know, nickelback or safety who can really run with Braxton Miller. They know that really there's no corner in the Big Ten that's going to be able to guard Mike Fowler. I mean, and that's just a fact. They know that there's no tackle in the Big Ten that's going to be able to block Joey Bosa. So you know those things going in, and every game becomes a trap game for you, and you've got to play up to your potential. Now, what I think that you're going to see out of this football team, which I what, what I hope that we're going to see, is that just that step forward and improvement. It's not about the opponent because we're good enough to beat all the all the people that they've put in front of us so far. I think it's just we're going to. I think Urban Meyer has this team focusing on. Now we're in the second half of the season. Now we've got to start getting better. Now we've got to peak at the right time, just like we did last year. That was the formula. It worked. We can't let someone else be that team. We've got to be that team. We've got to keep improving. So we are our best and our optimal level at the end of the year. So you're really playing against yourself. You're really not playing against the opponent. And, yeah, you know, Rutgers pulled out a great win against Indiana, and Indiana gave us some trouble. They're they're a, a, a decent offense. But, I mean, you know, Ohio State is starting to find its rhythm. It's starting to find its groove offensively and defensively. And I think that, that that's going to be bad news for the rest of the schedule. All right, Matt. I hope you're right. Uh, we're, you know, we're just a couple of nervous guys that are just waiting to see <laughs> if this team can turn, flip the switch and get it going. So, I'm not scared of uh, Rutgers at night. Because it's a night game at Rutgers. That, that does not worry me yet. <laughs> to be fair, I'm not either, but I have, the, I've been getting some of that noise on Twitter. I'm just curious. Let me tell you, Greg Schiano ain't walking through that door, okay? <laughs> Correct. Chopping wood. They're just chopping wood over there in Piscataway. <laughs> Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. Thanks, as always. Uh, appreciate your insight, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, guys. We'll see you next week. All 
All right, joining us, our special guest this week on 11 Dubcast, former Ohio State MVP, former Ohio State captain, linebacker Derek Eisenman, and also was a pro boxer. Derek, welcome to 11 Dubcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. I want to uh, I wanted to start out by asking you, you know, if you could let people know, you know, sort of what you've been up to since you retired from from pro boxing and and what you're doing like for a, a real job like the rest of us. Yeah, like the rest of us. Uh yeah. I work for YRC Freight, which is Yellow Roadway Corporation. Mm-hmm. I've worked there for 19 years now. I started right there in Columbus, Ohio. Uh they cl- they, they downsized Columbus, Ohio, YRC did. And so there, I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, with YRC, and uh, I, they downsized again. So I moved to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and I was in Nashville for six months. And then uh, a job came open in Atlanta with YRC Freight, and uh, I applied for the job, and I uh became the uh, relay manager down here in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. So I'm responsible for, we have a, about a 218 seniority board, and uh, it's a very, uh, it's a Teamster, uh, Teamster union, and, uh, you know, it's it's a very challenging job, and it's very rewarding, and uh, enjoy going to work every day. Awesome. Well, one of the things, like, you know, Michael was telling me about your career and whatnot, and, and, you know, I'm a little younger, but I was just blown away by all the stuff you've done, and I really wanted to know, what was that transition like from, like, college football to boxing? Like, how did you make that, and, and why did you decide to, to kind of do that? Yeah, I I initially, I started out boxing when I was eight years old, so I, I, I've, you know, I started the flag, and flag football and then uh went into to uh the boxing thing uh my dad was my coach and my older brother um was also involved he started he started the boxing so anyway I, one day they asked me to come to the gym and uh you know I, I really enjoyed it uh got beat up my brother and he was older <laughs> So uh, anyway, the transition from boxing and to football is, is not that different, you know. Uh, you get hurt in both sports. Uh, both sports are very, you know, you got to be an aggressive person. Uh, you have to, uh, you know, obviously protect yourself in both sports. And uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where if I wasn't in boxing, I don't think I would have been that good in football, and you know, vice versa. So. It was uh, uh, boxing, of course, is uh, a very rewarding and is tough business. Uh, you know, I, I went up to Kronk, uh, uh Detroit, Michigan. Uh, traveled all over the world with it. I, not the world, but the United States. I did go to Canada a couple times. Uh, so uh, you know, ended up being you know, it did pretty well. Uh, I was fortunate enough to win the National Golden Gloves in the 88. I took a year off there from Ohio State in 1988 and tried out for the Olympics and was, uh, uh, I guess you could say, fairly successful. I won the National Golden Gloves. I beat a guy by the name of Tommy Morrison uh, who ended up uh, 
Chick-fil-A in the, in the Rocky movie. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I actually, uh, I, I, I read for that part. Uh, they flew me out to New York. Well, what happened was we played Lee USC, and there was an article in the paper about me. And they called me up and asked me if I wanted to... Uh, if I wanted to try out for this uh, Rocky movie, and I said, "Well, sure," you know. So I uh, I went, and this guy interviewed me there, right at the hotel, at the, while we were playing USC. That that morning, the guy interviewed me, and he just had a, a you know a handheld uh, recorder, and it took about fifteen twenty minutes. And and he said, "Well, you did a great job," and I was all pumped up about this. Uh, I thought I was going to be <laughs> the next movie star. Yeah. So then they flew me out to New York. Uh, we, we, we ended up playing USC. We lost big, uh, junior say I ate, ate our lunch that, uh, we lost like 40 to, uh, I think it was 40 to seven. So anyway, uh, they said, come on out to New York. So I went out to New York, the director of the movie. And, uh, I went to his, uh, his whole, it was actually, uh, he was 11th floor, New York city, uh, a big sign right in front of, well, here's what I did before I went there. I stuffed my shoes with uh, toilet paper <laughs> to make myself look taller. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to be taller. I wanted to get this part. I was all anxious about it. So a big sign right in front of his door is, take your shoes off. <laughs> but of course, here I am. I just stuffed my uh, my shoes with toilet paper so I could be, you know, <laughs> taller and look bigger than what I was. So, uh... <laughs> They and they the first thing they did, guy opened the door, he looked right to my shoes. So, uh, you know, they take your shoes off. So I took them off, you know, I was, and here comes the toilet paper rolling out and my you know, I'm sweating. <laughs> well, I'm stuffing the toilet paper back in my shoes. So so I go in and read for the part. It it took probably uh twenty minutes and I, I knew at that point that uh I wasn't an actor. Uh I did terrible. <laughs> you know, the guy asked me, he was a um, the guy who did this movie also did the first Karate Kid. Oh, cool. Um, a big, big name. I can't recall his name. But anyway, that was uh, my uh, movie star days. Uh, they flopped. Uh, so, uh, that <laughs> well, was, that's great. Uh, that... <laughs> go ahead, man. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, no, no worries. That, that, I was just going to say that's, that's an incredible story. Yeah, it's a really great story. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say the... You know what I remember most about your playing days at Ohio State was the, was the toughness. There was always the the two big stories about you when you were you know at Ohio State playing linebacker were that when you were in Golden Gloves you were I think the only one that Mike Tyson didn't knock out. Yeah, that's and, correct. Uh, and, yeah. and the other one was the the other one was that you played with a cast entirely over your hand because you had shattered your hand at one point. Right. That that was the. Uh... The Michigan game. <clears throat> that was my senior year. Uh, we were playing Iowa, and I, I made a tackle, and I shattered my right thumb. Uh, went in, and uh, they had to uh, place it together and put a steel plate in there. And, uh, you know, it's uh, one of those things where uh, it's Michigan week. And uh, and I came back. You know, I took a year off in 88 and came back my senior year. And uh, that's one of the reasons I came back for was to play and beat Michigan, of course. And and, and I wanted to play that on it. And uh, I don't care if they, you know, if they, they put take the cast off or on, I'm playing. So anyway, I talked them in. The doctor says, no, I don't think you should play. 
you know, I don't know what you're, you know, you, you're going to go into boxing and you might not ever be able to use that hand again. So, you know, and he said, I said, nope, I, you know, I'm, I'm not playing. <laughs> so I ended up playing and, uh, uh unfortunately we, we did lose. Uh, I had a decent game though. I thought I played pretty well. Um, uh, and, uh, we lost, but, uh, you know, I was glad and happy to be a Buckeye, and uh, I was able to play the whole game, you know. And I guess that was my claim to fame, and after that, you know, my uh played with a broken uh, uh, thumb and uh, played the whole game. Well, let me ask you this. So, so about, like, you know, yeah. fighting Tyson, how do you even mentally prepare yourself for that, like, especially at that time? I mean, yeah, it's uh, – Mike Tyson, my brother uh, went out. To, he was a boxer as well, and he, he went out to the National Junior Olympics. And he came back and said, "Hey, man, you should have seen this heavyweight out there. His name was Mike Tyson. He knocked everyone out in the first round. <laughs> he was amazing. He's he's like 200 pounds. The guy's stocky, and he was brutal. <clears throat> so the next year, I went out there and I saw Mike. And again, Mike Tyson was there, knocked everybody out in the first round. I just actually read that on Wikipedia. He knocked everyone out in the first round. So uh, I think it was two years later. I was in the National Golden Gloves, and it was in St. Louis. And, and you know, I looked looking at the bracket of names, uh, and I, I saw if I if I won my first fight there, you know, I, I saw Tyson's name there. I said, oh, no. So I called my brother, and I said, listen, if I win this fight tonight, I'll be fighting Tyson tomorrow. So uh, fortunately, I did win the first fight and and, and fought Tyson. Uh, and, of course, I, I, you know, I was scared to death going in. And, and, and everyone was. The guy was just brutal. He knocked everyone out. Even at that time, you know, there was there was a guy that beat him uh, for the Olympics, but you know, he was still Mike Tyson. Uh, so we, uh, I ended up going the three rounds with him. I, I honestly, I think he knocked everyone out, and I was the only one to make it the three rounds with him. And uh, you know, I was that that was my claim to fame. Then at Ohio State, there in 1986, he, he ended up being world heavyweight champion. That was just uh, two years after I had fought him. So, uh, you know, everyone was, you know, thought that was, you know, yeah, watch out for this guy, you know. But that, that, that really wasn't the case in football, you know, because uh, my first, my freshman year, I remember, you know, first day of pads, uh, and I'm one-on-one drill with Eric Kumaro. I don't know if you guys remember him or not, but. Oh, yeah. Eric, uh. Eric was a big dude, a six foot seven, six, six, you know, two thirty, and uh, I was out right out of high school, and I said, "Man, I'm knocking him on his height," <laughs> and I lined up against Eric and fired out at him, and I swear to God, he picked me up and threw me like five yards, and, <laughs> and, and at that point on, I was like, "Man, this is different. This is going to be a whole different ball game than what high school was." Yeah, so, you yeah. you got to, you got to play with some real real true, um, you know, iconic yeah. Buckeyes. I mean, you you were on a, the team with Eric Comero and Chris Spielman. You were still there. You came back for your last year, I believe. Steve Tovar was with you at that time. Yes, he was. Um, yeah, just incredible linebacking cores at that time. 
what was it like to just be a part of those linebacking cores? Oh, man, it was awesome. You know, Pepper Johnson, my freshman year, he was the uh, two-year captain, uh, you know, a, a great leader, uh, you know, somebody that would uh, motivate you, and, you know, just, just by him talking would would motivate you. I mean, the guy was huge, and, uh, you know, Chris Spielman, what a great – you know, phenomenal linebacker. Um, Eric Kuma was a, a, was a great linebacker. Steve Tobar was a freshman. He was like a freshman when I was a senior, you know. So Steve was like, he was a great player. And, you know, he was a freshman. So uh, we kind of picked on Steve a little bit, but, you know, he was a great player. And, uh, you know, I, I looked up to Steve. He, he, he had a heck, a heck of a career there in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, guy was, uh, he was a great, uh, tackler. Uh, he, he was, uh, actually played with me in the Michigan game and, and, you know, he did a phenomenal job as a freshman and, uh, talked to him not too long ago and he's doing awesome. So, uh, yeah, there were a lot of good, good, uh, actually great players that I played with and I was very, very fortunate. Uh, what was it like playing for uh, Coach Bruce? Coach Bruce was uh, a very fiery guy, uh, you know, intense, extremely intense. Uh, I was intimidated like crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, when Coach Bruce said something, you know, they, it was his way or, or no way. And, uh, you know, respected a guy. And uh, he he was a great coach. You know, he, he was a fireball. You'd get up there, you know, you'd be ready to go after he gave you the, you know, warm-up speech or whatever speech he gave. You know, he, he was a great motivator. Um, Coach Cooper was the same way. I, I really enjoyed playing for Coach Cooper. Uh, you know, he was – I respected Coach uh, Cooper and uh, thought he did a, a tremendous job. You know, it was a different coaching strategy between the two coach Bruce was more involved he was in the, more involved in, in practices more involved in the plays you know he was up, up in your face uh if you did something wrong he'd be pointing you out and embarrassing you you know uh coach Cooper was more of a guy that coached the coaches and uh you know he was a a very good football uh man you know he uh he, he was more, you know, let the coach the coaches, I guess we could say. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to know about was that last Earl's last game at Michigan. It was a cold day. I went to that game actually as a student. And uh, um, everybody wore the, head, the Earl headbands. And, yes, sir. Um, and after the, you know, the, the win, I, th- I believe it was a comeback win. And then, yeah. you know, the Ohio State fans that made the trip actually rushed out onto the field. And I actually got to dance on the M in the yeah. middle of the field that day, awesome. and it was pretty cool. So yeah. what kind of emotion was there on that sideline for that particular oh, team? Oh, man, it was awesome. First of all, uh, the person that, that created the uh, headbands was my roommate, Joe Stasniak. Okay. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he was the uh, one that came up with that idea, which was, uh, <laughs> was awesome. Um, I did not start that year. I started my sophomore year every game, and then I got beat I beat out by Michael McCray and uh that was my junior year and uh I didn't start 
uh, actually, and, and I started, Coach Bruce pulled me aside, said you're starting and you're starting at inside linebacker. And I played outside linebacker. So that was, a, you know, a huge change for me, and, and I was starting in middle linebacker in the Michigan week. So, uh, you know, what a thrill. So anyway, uh, that, you know, that game, Chris Spielman obviously uh, gave, gave a, a, a pump-you-up speech. And when Chris talked, you know, Chris, uh, whatever Chris said, you know, you, you were going to follow Chris. And uh, Chris gave a phenomenal speech, uh, motivated us, uh, and, uh, you know, we won the game. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, there were different attitudes and different uh, atmosphere when you, when you start a game. And there were a couple games that you would know, you know, after, the, like, a couple times at Iowa, we just went nuts, you know, in the locker room. <laughs> And this thing was at Michigan, and, and we were extremely t- quiet and focused and fired up. And uh, I, and it's one of those games where, you you know, you got that good feeling that you're going to win. And sure sure enough, we did win, and, uh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. We had uh, Coach Blackney there. He had uh, some uh, problems with his wife. His wife had had a some medical issues, and I just remember Coach Black, and he was a great coach, and just him, uh, you know, everyone was so emotional, and he was, uh, uh, Coach Black, I remember walking in the locker room, and he was, he, you know, he broke down, and it was just it was so overwhelming, that you know, and happy and excited, you know. So anyway, that's uh, that, that's my uh, Michigan-Ohio State. That's the, Actually, that's the only time that we won. <laughs> in my tenure there, so that was there were some there were some lean years uh, in the rivalry yeah, back then. Uh, but we're glad you got your gold pants for that uh, for that uh, that win. Um, yeah. Before we let you go, just want to get your thoughts on the championship last year and and how you see this year's Ohio State team doing. Okay, uh, man, I, I, Coach Urban Meyer is awesome. I, I met him. You know, he was a GA there at while I was there. And uh, I met him, uh, actually, I, I know Jeff Ulenhake, who was a strength coach there, and he was giving me a tour through the facility a couple weeks ago. And I, uh, you know, we bumped into Urban, and, uh, what, you know, this guy is a, a phenomenal. Uh, what a great coach, and what a great motivator, what a coach. And uh, I was so surprised, and I, I can't believe they did it. This Cardell Jones. He went above and beyond. That guy was on fire last year. I think he's kind of lost his, uh, you know, confidence level. I'm not sure what happened, but, I mean, he was on the money every time last year in those last couple games. And, uh, you know, it's uh, great to be a Buckeye. And I'm here in Atlanta, Bulldog country. Uh, (laughs) And, man, I got got all my Ohio State gear on. And, uh, you know, it was just great to be a Buckeye. Uh, this year, you know, I think uh, they, they've started out slow. And uh, Cardell, I'm not sure if JT or Cardell's going to start this week. It seems as though uh, Cardell's kind of lost his confidence a little bit compared to what he did last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, JT, uh, this last game, my golly, we, you know, he's got them all fire. He's moving the ball. I think he's the man to go to this week, and I hope, you know, 
I hope they stay with him as long as he's moving the ball like this, like he did last week. Uh, you know, it's just great to be a Buckeye. It's it's uh, it's down here in the uh, SEC country. And, uh, you know, back in the day when I played, we were getting whooped by the SEC. And now it's just, it's great to be, a, you know, a Ohio State fan, a Big Ten fan. And uh, we continue to dominate, and the SEC is not, you know. So you kind of got to watch what you say down here. But, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's good. It's a good feeling, man. Yeah, I know how you feel. I, I, I'm actually in Orlando in 90 minutes from uh, Gainesville, so I go through the oh, same wow. thing here. <laughs> yeah, you get – yeah, exactly. Uh, Derek Eisenman, former Ohio State great linebacker. Uh, thank you so much for being with us on the 11 oh. Dubcast. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Boy, what a dub cast, Johnny Ginter. I mean, uh, De- Derek Eisman, Matt Finkus, uh, we got to celebrate a hilarious Michigan loss and uh, an Ohio State win over, I'm just going to say it, I don't care, people are going to ridicule me, I don't care. Penn State is actually a rival now. <laughs> they are, it's, they it's, are when they're good, I mean, I, I, you know, but in general I don't think they're. I mean, here's the thing about a rival. You want to beat them because you hate them, you hate their fans, and if that hasn't really reached that level for some people, then I don't really know what they're paying attention to. By the way, you don't really wear a special uniform for a non-rival, do you? Yeah, I mean, we've worn special uniforms for all kinds of teams. I, I would say so. I mean, you can wear it. Yeah. The uniform really, I mean, granted, it was a. I think it was a blackout and a black uniform because it was Penn State and kind of just, you know, turning their whole thing on its head, but... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We've worn we've worn special uniforms for Wisconsin, Nebraska. I don't consider them rivals, per se. Oh, I think when Burt was at Wisconsin, I think that was a rivalry. I really do. Well, yeah, um, I think that's yeah. arguable. I think that's a fair point, but Nebraska, eh. Yeah, maybe not a rivalry there. Um, okay, so I got a last question before we get on out of here, Johnny. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so you know the guy in the Michigan video who was uh, facing the wrong way and wailing, oh my God, you know, oh my God. Yeah. Okay, if you were that guy, and I'm not saying you are that guy. I, I'm re- saying, I hope not. If you're that guy, how do you face your coworkers <laughs> on Monday? You got to own it, man. You got to just freaking own it. You can't, like... You've got to, first of all, you got to throw some cover on yourself, meaning you got to say, like, I was super drunk. I didn't know where I was, you know, throw something to make it a little more sensical. But you just got to own it. You got to come to, you come to work, you, you know, anytime something even remotely bad goes wrong, like, say you burn your popcorn or something, just, you do the same thing, and everybody's going to laugh. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just own it. Have fun with it. There, if you try to resist that, Look, it's just going to get a thousand times worse. You're going to be forever known as that guy. You just have to, like, run that joke into the ground, and then eventually people will get sick of it and stop reminding you of it because they're already irritated by it. So that's that's what you do. <laughs> you just you just own it up, and then you just keep going after it until people get sick of even talking about it. Do you think he was like that before the Michigan game? Do you think he was, like, <laughs> the kind of guy who burned the popcorn and go, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That that's just his personality. A more, like a lot sadder if that's the case. <laughs> like I, I really kind of hope not because that guy leaves a very just sad life. 
in yeah. that event. So I hope not. I hope it was just a one-off thing for that dude. But like I said, just own it, man. Just just accept yeah. the fact that you you did something very silly, and the entire internet saw you, and and they'll eventually forgive you if you just kind of take it with good humor. So I'd be all like, you know, why the guy was filming it? Because we totally staged that, man. Yeah, we it was totally a joke. staged it to go. We, joke, we wanted man, it to go joke. viral. <laughs> we wanted that's it to go viral. Just the guy was you, an idiot. <laughs> I you, win. You bought it. Yeah. You bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you. I see through that every time. Like, oh, you thought I was an idiot, but I actually was trying to fool you into thinking I was an idiot. <laughs> yes, it. it's, it's a little bit of Andy Dwyer there, isn't it? <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, I, I think that guy was actually sobbing some serious tears there. Some real serious, serious tears. Well, this was the year they were going to get back at little brother, and they just didn't do it. It's not little brother anymore. Little brother grew oh. up, hit the gym, and is like twisting their arm and their back at this point. What did I see on uh, Twitter? Who's your dad, Tonio? <laughs> Mark D'Antonio, by the way, has the best troll face. Like, you know, look, seriously, for 99% of his life, he's just this angry, crotchety, grumpy man. But when something goes his way, he is just the smuggest SOB on the planet, and I freaking love it. I absolutely love it. I, yeah. I'm a big fan of Mark D'Antonio. I hope he stays at Michigan State forever. I, You know, I love Mark D'Antonio. He's the guy that if Urban suddenly left, I'd be like, Call Mark. That's right. Please call Mark right now because here's the thing about Mark. I wanted to spend a minute on this before we sign off. Is he? I mean, he he kind of got his coaching chops under Trestle, right. and then he went out and did his own thing. And he had this, you know, he's got the the typical Big Ten, you know, sort of reputation. But then he does all kinds of crazy things. Like right. He loves the fake and, punts and stuff. Yeah. I mean, and a fake punt darn near cost him the game, you know, <laughs> right. this weekend because he shouldn't have run That's it. Right. But it was really, you know, he's he's turned into a guy who you can't always predict what he's going to do. He went for two fourth and longs in like the 35-yard line-ish area uh, against Michigan. So <laughs> Yes, he did. I, I really like the way he's evolved as a coach and surrounds himself with good coaches, and it doesn't seem to matter. Like, he lost a very good assistant in Pat Narduzzi, but he continues to surround himself with, with quality people. And there's still a trestle on his staff, too. Yeah, so. you know what? In a lot of ways, he's kind of the Les Miles of the North. I think, and you know, maybe not as fun and quirky as Les Miles, but he does he does have the occasional crazy thing that he pulls out of his butt, and I very much enjoy that. I mean, look, it, if I were a guy, so let's say I were a coach, and I run a trick play, and then I have a heart attack immediately afterwards, I probably yeah. won't run any more trick plays. Mark D'Antoni says, screw that, I'm taking the hit, I'm going to see if yeah. it works. I respect that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh I just I like the guy. I like Dino, and I think again, if if Irvin were to leave, he'd be the first phone call I'd make. Yeah, I'd certainly. Agreedo. All right, well, it's an eleven dubcast for this week. Now, uh, next week we'll get to break down the the Rutgers game and uh, look ahead to open date. Oh, uh, so nice. that's kind of crazy. We're gonna have a, a non game week to talk about, but uh, definitely want to thank Matt Finkus for Finkus on football. We definitely want to special thanks to Derek Eisenman. Former Ohio State, great linebacker. I mean, the dude was tough as nails. He, he, you know, he wasn't one of the big names that you think of through the years when you think of the, the linebacker legacy at Ohio State. But he's one of the players that, you know, those of us that kind of were around in that era and watched the game, we will never forget number 10 and, and what he brought to that defense and the toughness. And any, any dude that will play with a shattered thumb and say, you know, just throw a cast over it and I'm just going to play. Any dude that will go toe-to-tie with Mike Tyson in the <laughs> ring – yeah, rounds is the definition of tough. I mean, that's that's yeah. scary stuff right there. He's uh, he went beast mode before beast mode was a thing. So, 
Uh, so until next week, guys, I'm Michael Citro. I'm Johnny Ginner. Peace.